You're listening to the New You Biz podcast channel. Hello once again to our New You Biz members, family, friends, and for those of you listening for the first time, welcome to the New You Biz podcast channel. I'm Donald Robinson II co-founder of NewU.biz. And in this episode, you'll be listening to an interesting conversation with Mr. Nkanku Daruma, who is a monk of the Zen Buddhist faith, and he currently resides with his family in Tokyo, Japan. Now, in our interview, you'll hear various topics about life, love, relationships, connection, and also about the Zazen meditative discipline within Zen which is also a religious practice within Buddhism. And also you'll hear the story of how Nkanku became a monk and how he became involved with the Buddhist faith as an American citizen who moved to Tokyo several years ago, who had certain troubles in his life and discovered himself through his practice and became who he deserved to be And he's willing to share his story with others. So if you listen closely, you'll understand what it means to discover yourself, which is what new.biz is all about. And before I go on any further, I'd like to thank Miss Nicole Mangus, who brought to my attention in Kanku's story. And I thought it was a fascinating one as we talked further on during the interview. And during this time of this interview, there was a recent discovery of someone of popular culture who passed away and someone definitely of influence in my life and my partner's life. I'd like to say condolences to the family of Mr. Prince Rogers Nelson. And I'd like to also say to all of his listeners and fans, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm with you because I'm one of you. And also there's solace in knowing that Once people we care about, once people we feel we know, people we connect with, move on and pass on from this life, there is solace in what we do with our lives. And in NewU.biz, we are about attempting to help you all become who you deserve to be. Because in this life, you only get one chance. And that's a cliche, of course, but there's certain rings of truth that go with that. And so now let's hear from Mr. Nkanka Daruma about how he started with Zen and became a monk. Well, you know, I, I came to Tokyo uh, six, seven, seven years ago to work here, and I had a, I had a great job. It paid me, my best year was nearly $250,000. Okay. And uh, I was miserable, absolutely miserable. And it wasn't a demanding job. It was, a, it was a perfect job. And I remember my boss was, I was talking to him in the States and we were trying to figure out what the, the next move was going to be for me because my contract was going to be done in, in Tokyo. And before I knew it, I just said, you know what, Pat, don't worry about it. I quit. Uh, you don't have to, re- you don't have to move me. I'll just, I'll just terminate at the end of the, the, the you know, in August when I'm done. And this was in May. And <laughs> he was a bit shocked and we finished up the phone call and I, I, I hung up the phone I, I had this, 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 this 
beautiful feeling of release. Wow. <laughs> and it lasted, it lasted for about three nanoseconds. <laughs> and I had this, right. I had this crushing fear <laughs> of what I just say. And my wife is standing holding a three-month-old baby. And she said, what did you just tell them? <laughs> and she said, you know, uh, this apartment we're living in right now, they're going to want that back. It's theirs. Right. Oh, and, and the car... The car you drive, yeah, they're going to want that back too. Yeah. Oh, and they're not they're not going to pay you that kind of money anymore. And so, it, you know, it it just um, I I guess I got to the point kind of like in that movie with Denzel Washington, where he's the pilot. Yeah. And he's drunk, saves all the, most of the people, but he's drunk. And he gets to the end of the movie, and he's in that in that, that room in that commission, and they're having a what is that big meeting or whatever. And all he had to do was tell one more lie. Yep. <laughs> one, that last one would have got him free. Scott free. I remember yeah, that. He, yeah. Yeah. But he said, I couldn't tell one more lie. And that's the way I felt about it. You know, I was living a life that for me was it wasn't authentic. It didn't feel good. Okay. And I finally got to the point where I, I just finally jumped off the cliff. And the analogy I, I come to accept is that we take baby steps all throughout our life, edging towards this area. Mm-hmm. But eventually, the baby steps have to lead you to the jump. <laughs> and, and for whoever, you know, for everybody is different. But it might be that relationship that you're charting around that hasn't worked for 10 years and it's not going to work for any, it, it's never going to work. But, you know, you're baby stepping your way through it. So you're going to take the jump or it's a job or it's, you know, it's, we all have something, I think. Yeah. And, and uh, so, you know, for me, that, that was it. I was just a, you know, working for something I didn't enjoy, but I had everything I wanted in terms of money and uh, comfort and uh, buying business class and internationally. It just Everything was there, but I was just miserable. Well, initially, Don, what, you know, in my world, I was, uh, I was kind of control free for that kind of, I was a control free and I always had to have things my way. And when I did, you know, in any given moment in my life, there's one of three things that's happening. I was getting what I wanted or I didn't get what I wanted or I, or I got what I didn't want. <laughs> and the, uh, the latter two are the most, most prevalent. And I was, you know, I was always in a state where I, I wanted something, but it wasn't happening. And, uh, I wasn't getting what I wanted. And, uh, because, I guess because of the way I look at things, uh, I always had to blame somebody for that. It couldn't possibly be my fault. You know, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't blame myself, so I had to blame somebody else. Yeah. And so I'm running around blaming all these people for what's not happening in my life that I want to happen. And it's, it's, I realized it made me this victim. Right. You know, I'm, I'm just a puppet and somebody's pulling my strings and make sure Scott gets this or Scott doesn't get that. And, uh, so it, it generates a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. And the next the next transition from that was, you know, uh, why don't I just own everything in my life? Right. Why, why don't I just accept that I, I did it? It's my fault. Right. And that's helpful. It's, it's useful. But what what it really does is it still, it still keeps you that old, right, wrong, good, and bad. Right. And I... Uh, so I'm not blaming anybody on the outside, but I'm blaming myself. You know, so I, I spent a lot of time beating myself up for, for what I didn't, what I didn't get, or what didn't go right. Uh, 
when we enter into the Zen world, and one of the foundational things we say in Zen is that we accept everything as it is. Right. And everything as it is does away with the need to blame or call something right or wrong or good or bad. So I'm always producing exactly what I need to produce. Right. Now, whether I call, whether I call it good or bad, that's, that's part of my belief structure. That's my conditioning. You know, this is what, I, you know, what we grow up with, the, the map of reality we create in our minds when we're you know, three, four, five, six years old. Yep. So how, how do you get to that point? That's, that's where this thing called Zazen comes in. So, so um, turning the conversation into going back a bit, how, how did you become introduced to Zen philosophy and, and you know, Buddhist? You know, how, how, did, how, did you, how did you come to that journey in, in being introduced to it in the first place? Uh, I you know, go back about 20 years ago, I was reading a lot of different stuff. I was going through a tough time in life and I was trying to make sense out of it. I read Native American stuff. I read a lot of classic books. I, I tried to do meditation without much success. And then um, 10 years ago, I stumbled across this thing. I, I, I guess about 15 years ago, I went to a Tony Robbins seminar. And then I went through, uh, I went through one of those Millionaire Mind T. Marv Ecker seminars. Yep. And I started doing meditation more with that. Um, and then I got involved with this thing called Holosync. I'm going to shout out to CenterPoint Research Technology uh, for CenterPoint Research. So then, so the other question I wanted to ask you is, how did you become a monk? Well, you shave your head. I'm not just <laughs> Right, you get the you get the you get the rope. You, yeah, you you yeah. You get, you get some special clothes. You shave your head. You know things like that. Um, right. It, you know, the, 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 the talk around the temple was, this, this guy's asked me one night, he says, why do you want to become a monk? I said, I don't want to become a monk. I was still working at the time, and he said, and then so it kind of comes up that my teacher, his name is Jin San, Jin, Jin, Jin San, and he says, uh, he's already picked out my name, they've got, all this, they've got these plans already made for me, nobody even told me. <laughs> so they evidently knew uh, something that I didn't, and uh, so I, it's kind of—he's it, a very, very good teacher because he doesn't teach you anything. He just, you know, he just—if you have a question, he'll he'll answer it. But the most important thing is that you spend your time, spend time on the question, and spend time doing the, the you know the stuff in front of the station where I'm chanting and holding my bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the most important things about being a monk. At some point, I guess I'll, I'll I'll do the other things that I I'll learn to do the funeral services and things like that. But right now, you know, he says the most important thing for me to do is just sit. And uh, so I, I just listen to him. And um, I don't think I chose it. I think it chose me. And it just felt like I'm in that river going with the current versus trying to fight the current. And uh, my wife supports me. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a bit of a shock for her <laughs> changing living standards. She's been along, she's been on board. And uh, I guess it just feels like I'm, I'm following the path of least resistance right now. Wow. 
Wow. You know what? There's two points I want to ask you about on that journey. One, how did you become miserable? And two, how did you feel once you once you came out of that misery? I mean, once you decided to to take that leap, how did you feel? So, so the first part is, how did you become that miserable? I don't. I don't know how I became. You know, I think um, in my heart. I wasn't happy. Okay. And on the outside, on the surface, it, you know, all the things that your ego can be attached to, I had. And but in my heart, I wasn't happy. I, I don't know how to uh, how to explain that. It's just there's a, you have an inner knowing. The more time that I spent sitting on my cushion, the more I trusted it, the more I realized it. That its voice kept getting louder. It wouldn't be ignored. I was moving towards. I was moving towards something I didn't even know. Wow. And but just in that, you know, so I was under the surface, I was miserable with that job and I wanted to quit, but finally just, it just popped out of my mouth. <laughs> you can't even, once you realize you can't take it back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's out there in the universe already. It's already done. Yeah. 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 So then going, flipping to that, like the other part, the, the second part of my question is then how did you come to it? Uh, the courage, I mean, first of all, I applaud you for taking that kind of leap because it's not easy at all, especially when you have a family. But so then how, how did you come become at, more at peace with the decision once you made it? Well, the, the, the easiest thing to, to do is to allow all that fear and all that panic and all that doubt and regret just to be it. Uh, so I... Yeah, I, I left that company job in uh, July, June or July of 2013. And then September of 2013 is when they did the, the ceremony at the company to make me a monk. And if you picture a sine wave, you know, kind of oscillating above and below that medium, you know, that middle line, I've been oscillating up and, up and down between fear and, and, <laughs> and euphoria. Yeah. <laughs> but then, but that sine wave is starting to dampen out now. It's, it's a lot smoother. It's not the amplitude isn't as big, you know. And so I, I, I kept with my practice. I leaned on my teacher. I mean, I I have the ability to spend a lot of time with enlightened Zen master, and uh, I've asked him everything. Yeah, uh, my mind has come up with this, you know, just thousands of different ways to ask the same kind of questions, and he's always just. Hold my little ego up and throw it back in my face. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And Kanku also discussed how he found himself and started his journey of self-awareness through meditation. So take a listen. I guess the most common question I get, especially when I'm doing, I'm doing talk a lot to them, standing with on the station, and just camping and pulling my bowl, it's frequent somebody says why, why did I do this or why did I choose this and I, the only thing that comes to my mind is that I didn't choose it it chose me and looking back I probably started meditating uh, 15 18, 20 years ago not, not real serious I mean uh, over the last 10 years I've been using Holocene which is a, a meditation uh, program but I found was I just kept uh, getting out of my own way. Uh, I found sort of 
electricity and it just and some people use that analogy where you you know you let the river take you where you're supposed to go. It's like we have a um, in other sense we have an internal guidance system that kind of brings us exactly where we're supposed to be at any time. And most of the time we're fighting that, you know, based on our beliefs and our conditioning and and, and our egos and, and things like that. And over the last 10, 10 years or so, I've just allowed myself to kind of go with the way things are thinking rather than playing them. And I guess that's how I ended up. I didn't know anything about Zen before I started. Listen now to Nkanku's take on the higher self. There's this theory. There's, you know, the, the world's full of theories. There's nothing that's real, okay? And whatever whatever philosophy or theory that we latch on to is, you know, it's just a, it's a tool, but it's not, it's not reality itself. And one of the things that the philosophies I got is that we all have a higher self and your higher self always knows exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And it will always guide you to be in the right place at the right time. Now, whether I choose to interpret that as good or bad, whatever's happening to me is good or bad. That's relative to my conditioning and my beliefs. But there is no such thing as right or wrong or good or bad. It's just, you know, how I, how I choose to, to interpret it. And Kanko also talked about the Zazen level of consciousness. Zazen translates to meditation, but it's not really meditation. Okay. It's not. If I say I'm going to meditate, I usually I'm going to meditate for a reason. It's, um, it's an act. You know, so I'm going to meditate you know, so my stress goes down or I have better relationships or I have better communication. In, uh, in the Zen world, Zazen, Zazen is, is simply being the state of Zazen. It's not doing it. it is, so, so one meditation is something you do in Zazen. It's something you are. Listen to how Nkanku explains the various levels of truth in life. Well, it's a more elegant level of, of, of dealing with attachment. Yeah. But uh, in, in, strict, in strict Buddhist uh, Zen terms, all life is suffering. That's what they call the first noble truth. Yeah. So all life is suffering. And uh, the second noble truth is that suffering comes from attachment. Yeah. And... Relieve, and the third noble truth is to relieve suffering, you let go of attachment. And the fourth noble truth is to, uh, to let go of attachment, you follow what they call the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path is just, you know, right living, right, right decisions, right relationships, things like that. And um, so everything comes into existence and goes out of existence uh, as, as part of this, this thing we call life, and your attachment to uh, the job, the car, the relationship, when those things go away, that's your, your attachment to them is what creates the suffering. Yeah. And if you think about life, what do we actually control? We don't really control anything. I can control what takes place in the six inches between my ears, my thoughts, right. to a certain extent. I can't control your thoughts. I can't control your actions. I can't control what anybody does. Right. And my, and my attachment to those things is what creates my suffering. So when you, when you talk about loss, um, I, I, know, I know a bit about that. And the thing is, when I realized nothing had happened to me, 
I don't get to choose how long somebody's in my life. I don't get to choose how long they're in being formed. I, I don't get to I don't get to control that. So it's it's my attachment to trying to hold on to something that I can't control that creates suffering. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make light of the grieving process because it took me many, many years to get to get comfortable with and understand that the loss of my son was um, it was nothing that happened to me. It was, it was his journey. And so it's, it's, um, you know, I don't, I don't think you wake up one day and, and, and everything's fine. <laughs> it, takes, it takes a number of years. And you know, what I was going to allude to earlier was that, uh, you know, what, how do you get to that point where you have the capacity to, to see things that way is that you spend a lot of time on a cushion. Yeah. And, if you think about when we're walking, I'm walking through life earlier, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, things are always happening and I'm reacting to them. And I'm reacting based on that map of reality I created when I was a small child. Mm-hmm. And what and what Zazen does for you is it creates a space where I'm no longer in a state of reaction, but I'm now in a state of, uh, I, can, I, can res- I can choose to respond or I can not respond at all. Okay. Somebody says something kind of interesting to me. I can interpret it as or I can just not. I, I could not even acknowledge it. Yeah. And and so that's that's where that that capacity does that to do that functionally is that that time on cushion. And yeah, I I often get the or I, I think I often get the impression I'm selling something on Buddhism, and that's not the case. Uh, you don't have to be a good you know, cushion. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's true. That's true. That's true. At a certain point in the conversation, and Conco and I also talked about how we learn to separate in our lives through race, through class, and other means. So take a listen as how we go into that topic. But it's but it's definitely something with 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 Buddhism. It's 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 a lot of lessons. To me, it's all about life lessons, and and there's a lot of lessons in it that people can draw from. It's just that. Again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. People do the separate thing in their mind. Well, that's Buddhism. That's Christianity. That's Judaism. Ah, you know, but not understanding that it's really all the same. It's all one. It's really one energy. But people don't look at it like they. Like we've been conditioned to separate. We, that's why we have race. That's why we have class. That's why we have all these different mechanisms to separate us in society. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh... I think part of that, you know, that idea of separation is, well, here's a good example. My daughter, my younger daughter is three years old. Yeah. Somewhere about, somewhere about the four-month mark, five-month mark, she figures out that when she bites the blanket, it's not her, and when she bites her phone, it's her, me, not me. So it's part of our human evolution that we, we, we get me, not me, and and this is not... I mean, this is the, the beginning elements of the ego identity. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so to say that um, having this identification with self and not self is good or bad is, is not really the point because it's natural. Yeah. If you're in, if you're in human form, at some point you figure out that, you know, there's, there's you and there's not you, and that's just the way it works. Uh, I remember my, my teacher at the temple, he's, <laughs> somebody was going on and on about their ego, and said, just bring me your ego and I'll set you free. Mm-hmm. And the guy said, like, I can't find it. And he says, how can you be controlled by something you can't find? Wow. So, 
if I cut, if, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I open my head up and I, I dig around in there, am I going to find an ego? Am I going to find a subconscious? Am I going to find a conscious mind? <laughs> those are all con- those are just concepts. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so what, you know, the, the whole point about going back to this idea of Zonet is it, it creates that awareness to where you stop, I stop playing that game. I stop identifying with it and I start to see things a little bit different way. Okay. And Conco also discussed hollow sync meditation by way of the Center Point Research Institute. So take a listen. And hollow sync is a, a, it's a tool you use. It's a, C, a CD where you put a frequency into the left ear and a different frequency in the right ear. Mm-hmm. And the brain laterals between those. So if it's, if it's 10 hertz in the left and it's 5 hertz in the right, your brain lateralizes at 5 hertz. Mm-hmm. And those correspond to bringing you from, we're in what they call right now a beta brainwave state. We're having a conversation. And uh, in beta, you have stress. In beta, you have cognitive thinking, you have the um, ability to rationalize and, and be critical. But you also feel stress. So it takes you out of beta and puts you quickly to alpha, which alpha is kind of like your um, daydream state. This is where uh, alpha brainwaves are considered, uh, I guess you get the um, uh, creative fiction, the inspiration comes in, in uh, alpha. Okay. And then it drops you. It drops you down in the theta, which is your uh, dream state. When you're asleep and you're in, in your dream state, you're in theta. And then it takes you down into delta, which is a low dream state. And the, interesting, the thing about delta is that this is the state where your body starts to regenerate itself. Mm-hmm. So the typical person that gets on a cushion that does meditation might spend... If you spend an hour on the cushion, they might spend a few minutes alternating between alpha and beta. And maybe after 10 or 15 years, they start to produce a lot more alpha. Rarely they'll get into the in delta. And when you're using Holosync, you're in delta for about 50, 50 minutes of the hour. Okay. 45. And so it's, it's a very powerful tool to get you, your brain into the meditative state. It doesn't do anything for your body. Sitting there, my knees hurt, <laughs> my back. Right. <laughs> uh, so this is this is what I started doing about ten years ago, and uh, it takes about ten years to reach all the levels. And I'm, I'm almost uh, this year I'll complete the final level. Uh, but then, because I had the capacity to understand what my teacher was saying, I had the capacity to, to sit on a cushion at the temple. But the really magical stuff is when you go to the temple and you spend five days for 12, 14 hours a day on a cushion. Um, that's, um, that's where you get the capacity to, to deal with all the pain that comes up, all the thoughts that come up, and you just learn how to let those go. And, uh, my heart beats, my lungs breathe, and my mind thinks, and I don't have a problem with any of those. Mm-hmm. But we rarely say that was a good heartbeat or a bad heartbeat. It's good breath or bad breath, but we're always attached to our thoughts. Yeah. And, and so all these all these years of sitting on a cushion, um, especially the last five years of doing a lot of, you know, 10, 12 hour days, um, the thoughts are no longer something I'm really hold on to. Okay. And I, and I think it just, you have to do the work to get there. Yeah. Now here's an interesting take on the ego and how it serves you in your life. 
You know, I think a lot of people's problem is they don't want to do the work, whether this fear or they just don't know how to do it or just don't want to do it, you know, and it's like it's really like you've been missing out on a joy of life, you know what I mean? Cuz it's it's just yeah. it just sounds fascinating to me when I'm hearing you talk about it because it's it's really about your spiritual internal journey and everyone has one. And um you know, it's it's disheartening in a sense to see people who miss it, who who go through life going to a job or doing an occupation every day but not really fulfilling the fullness of their own life and i've I'm, i've seen i'm seeing it right now you know as far as what i'm experiencing and i just want to you know well, that's why i do things like this podcast to make sure that i want to be able to live a fuller fuller life than that and not be caught in that trap and then you know end up when my life is over being miserable you know what i mean yeah <clears throat> Yeah, we can we can attack attack that idea from from a couple of different angles. Um, one thing is there is no right and wrong, and meditate, don't meditate, do zazen, don't do zazen. There, there's there's no right or wrong about that, and whatever is happening in your life is uh, is what life it is. It's, it's neither good or bad. Yeah. Now this this desire I have to like. My ego is very much involved. My ego is very much involved in getting me into Zen, into Zen or into uh, meditation because I was miserable and I wanted to be happy. Now, there's an ego involvement there, mm-hmm. and the ego is not bad. It's just um, at some point you realize the highest point of self-actualization is that there is no ego left. Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of like that double bind that. I really desire to get rid of desire. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, so as long as there's somebody that's identified with this or that, it's um, you know, it's, it's it's still ego attachment, and it's never going to go away. You, I can't, I can't. Like I said, you know, we're attached to something that doesn't exist. <laughs> you can't, yeah. you can't find it inside of somebody's brain, but yet we still feel this ego and this, this desire for something. And uh, <clears throat> I guess the the point I'm at now is that I, I realize that that's not going to go away and I'm, I'm, I'm not fighting it anymore. Okay. So would you say at this point in your journey that you're, that you're more at peace than you were before? I certainly, <clears throat> I would certainly say that life is a lot simpler now. Yeah. Do I still get angry that my uh, <clears throat> my three year old won't put on her clothes, or, or uh, you know, if, if somebody's rude to me and, and things? Yeah, I, I still have human action reactions to things. But what happens now is is, is um, there's not the attachment to the, um, to the judgment, or you know, the guilt, the shame, the judgment. You know, if, if, I, if I get angry, I'm not beating myself up to get angry. Right. Uh, just, things come up and they go away a lot faster. Okay. Yeah, that, that that sounds like a very um I don't know how to describe it because you I could I could say constructive, but it just seems like it's it's very very progressive in terms of your spiritual enlightenment because I find myself learning how to do that, you know, in my own way over the past several years it's like you know i get mad about something and even you know and when i'm con- when i'm conversing with somebody else about it and why you get so upset i said i usually tell people this i said it's 
to me, it's like almost like a like a virus or something. Where in the sense that I have to let myself allow myself to go through it. You know, if I'm going to be angry, let myself be angry and then get past it. Because the whole point is to get over that other side of the journey. You know what I mean? It's, let me get to the other side of this. But I have to recognize what I'm feeling right now and be at one with it and be aware of it and and accept it for what it is and then be done with it. You know, a lot of people misconstrue that with because people do hold on to emotions and, you know, things that happen to them or somebody or somebody else rude to them, you know, something like that. But the end of the day, you know, somebody's always going to be rude to you at some point. So how do you deal with it? Do you try to hold on to that person and, and, and seek them down 20 years later or do you just keep moving on your journey? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, there, there, like we, I was saying earlier, there's, there's not, none of these things I have any control over. The only thing I have control over, you know, what takes place in that, that space between my ears. <clears throat> yeah. I have control over my thoughts. But, uh, you know, I, I find that, um, you know, I tell people, I say, if you have a good day, may you fully enjoy the depth of your good day. Yeah. Um, the harder I resist it, it persists, right? You know, that's, that, that's a pretty common thing, you know, in, in this, what do you call that, the self-improvement or, you know, self-help world is whatever I resist persists. And, and so you're right, yeah, it, dive into the emotion. The only way you're going to transform these things is that if you fully experience it. Yep. If you keep diving into the pain, if you keep diving into the frustration or the loneliness or whatever it is you're going through, you're eventually going to find that there's nothing there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you just have to stick with it. And it, sometimes it, it manifests in a really, you know, you, you feel energy like, like you're hooked up to electric current going through your body or, your, you know, your stomach or wherever, wherever it's showing up. There's a physical location and there's a mental. Yep. And but we won't, so, you know, kind of going back to this thing about being in a temple and sitting on a cushion, there's no place to escape. So you just sit there and, you know, you got the knee pain comes up or the back pain or the, you know, anger. All that stuff, and there and there's nowhere to go. You just sit there with it. <clears throat> so you can do that in your day to day world when you're at your desk. You know, for those folks that are you know in, in an office and there's no place to run away, you just you can you can fully experience that while you're sitting at your desk. You can be in a conversation with somebody, staring at them and thinking, "I just want to rip your eyes out." Yeah, and allowing that to be okay. Yeah. You know? Just, just allow the experience to come up, and eventually it will go away. Yeah. Well, that's very encouraging to hear because a lot, you know, in in most times you don't hear that. You, there's nobody to sit on your shoulder to say, you know what, let them say that and then be done with it. You know, like what you just said. There's nobody like a like a whisper in your ear. It's almost like you really have to tell that to yourself, and that takes a lot of spiritual work. You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a great effort, and, and and it's not only a great effort, but it's like anything else. I mean, I think a lot of people don't understand when it comes to your spirit and also in your mind. They are they are mechanisms just like your body. I mean, people go to the gym to work out to improve their body. Well, you got to go to a mental gym. You got to go to a spiritual gym as well. I mean, and it, it's a daily process. It's not something you pick up and then five years later, okay, I'm gonna do this again. It's a, it's like daily daily exercise and once you master it then you be able to you, you're able to i wouldn't say perfect it but you're able to deal with it in a better fashion you know for, for a more progressive fashion and i think a lot of people don't know how to do any of that 
You know, that's why they turn to a, a self-help guru like Tony Robbins or somebody like, because to me, there's a lot of people out there that are crying for help in that area, but don't know how. They don't know where to turn. They don't know where to go. They don't even know what to do. But um, that's why hopefully with with this podcast, with, with, with the topics we're talking about here, somebody out there can hear this and, and try to get more information and help better themselves with it. Well, you're right. It, it takes it takes persistence. I, I, but everything that you know, if you want to learn to be a uh, when you were learning how to drive a car, you want to ride a bicycle or whatever job you're working, you have to persist at trying to improve. And so, you know, meditation for people is hard because it brings up a lot of stuff, and it's just easier to go back to watching TV than it is to deal with stuff. The path of least resistance. I would rather escape, and I would, you know, escaping through TV or alcohol or drugs or exercise or reading. All these things are escaping in, in, in a sense. But to just sit there and be uh, watching your thoughts—that's no fun at all. And, and so it does take uh, it takes some work. And once you get to a point of then you become kind of okay. I dig the chemicals that come up in my brain. I mean, the brain research about what meditation does for you is, is, is amazing right now. So there's, you can find it online easy enough that when you sit in meditation, you secrete this or you secrete that in your brain and it makes you happier and it releases stress and it gets you out of your parasympathetic nervous system into your sympathetic nervous system, all that stuff. Okay. It's true. It's true. But it still doesn't make it easier. <laughs> it's still, right. it's still like, I've been telling people for years that, you know, sit for 30 minutes a day. If you can't find 30 minutes, then you should, you should, you should sit for an hour. This <laughs> is venting. Um, but people look at me and say, I don't have 30 minutes. I'll tell you what. Go home, unplug your TV, and put it in the closet for one month and come back and tell me you can't find 30 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Turn your phone off 30 minutes a day. <laughs> Listen now to how the conversation turns into connection in terms of love. There's um, a previous podcast I talked about. My partner and I, we talked about relationships and, and the, the subject matter was really about more about love relationships. But one of the lines I, I said in there was about the fact that a relationship is like a mirror to you because it shows you who you are and when we can even delve in, in our conversation with the fact that a relationship is really about a connection with any other human period. So it's like when you connect with another human being and it's genuine and it's, and it's something that you, you connect to a certain core. It's like that person will draw out of you something you may not even want to see. So it's like, it's like they're holding up a mirror to you that you have to see yourself no matter what, if you want the relationship connection to continue, then at some point, you got to deal with that mirror. You know what I mean? And that, that's the other part of, I think that's why a lot of relationships in terms of like, for example, marriages, that's why a lot of, a lot of marriages fail. I think a lot of different relationships, people fall out of favor and friendships and family because people are not, they're not willing, they're letting the ego take over. And if not willing to look at that mirror, they'd rather fight at all costs to not look at the mirror 
and you know end up being sacrificed of the of the relationship versus taking that leap over the cliff like you say and willing to look in that mirror and and not understanding that it really all is an illusion and once you look in the mirror oh it wasn't as bad as i thought it was but because the fear of looking in the mirror has overcome so so much people fight and don't even need to fight you know what i mean the way you're, we have a something very similar, and you know, if I everything I see, it, it comes into my field of view is a is a is a mirror reflection back in me. Yeah, and to get, I guess, to give you essentially that in a hardcore Zen way, you say when I when I turn to my left and I face the wall, I become the wall, and then when I turn to my right. I turn to my right and face the wall on the other side. The one on my left falls away and I become the one on the right. And that's all there is. So at any given point, what I'm seeing is, is a reflection of me. Yeah. And we, you know, we talk about something like love, which is, I think it's very misunderstood in, in our world because I love somebody because and there's a list of things. And then maybe, maybe that person decides that they don't love me anymore, and I stop loving them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, but true love is something that exists without reason. Yeah. So one of the big things I, 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 I've realized is there's a difference between intellectual and experiential knowledge. Okay. And intellectual I love somebody because of this, this, and this. And I, I assign reasons and, and things like that and rationale, rationalize it uh, in, in a number of ways. But the experience exists outside of the intellectual part. And as soon as, uh, so, so the experience of love comes up, and then that's, a, that's, a, that's an experience. But very quickly, my mind comes along and starts saying, oh, I love because of this or that. So now I'm no longer... Well, now I'm no longer in the experience. I'm in the intellectual part of it. The experience is gone. Now it's all just mind. Wow. And so at any given time, whatever is coming up, the initial thing is usually is the experience, but then the mind comes along to rationalize it, judge it, claim it, uh, uh, you know, all those things, attach labels to it. And in the old days, I used to think that the mind, that was real. But now I realize that you know it's just it's just what your mind does. It's not real. It's transitory. But I think you're on a great journey. I really appreciate you know your sharing of your story because it's it's a story that needs to be heard. Um, there's a lot of I think a lot of people that listen to it will be inspired because you know the life journey itself is not easy. But but when you have somebody who's found their purpose or their purpose found them. And they and they're walking that path and allowing that purpose to fulfill their lives. Then that is a great story. It, it really is. It's a remarkable story, and I, I applaud you for it. I thank you for allowing to share it with us because, in my estimation, just listening to you briefly is is needed. It's very needed. Very very needed. So so sorely needed. So. <laughs> yeah. This is this is an interesting time. It feels like in the world, you know. I, Things seem to be unraveling at a certain pace. Uh, you know, I, I think we're starting to realize that our governments, you know, governments are corrupt. <laughs> the corporations run the governments, and uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of dissatisfaction and a dissatisfaction and a lot of frustration. And 
people. And so sorry, uh, you know, we're getting enough enough of that to work. It's forcing people to evolve and wake up a little bit. Yeah. And uh, so, how do you deal with that frustration? How do you deal with that? And that's that's kind of where you know this, this whole idea of, of getting familiar with yourself again, breathing. Yep. You know. Every time I take one slow conscious breath, it's a a moment without thought. So if you listen closely to Nkanku's journey in his life and listen to how he became who he deserved to be, you will see yourself in his life. We all have those types of challenges, shortcomings, emotions, and different feelings we have that may either get us off the path of where we're supposed to be or help us get back on it. But what's most interesting to me in his life's journey is the understanding of himself, no matter where he was in his station in life. Because as you have heard, while he was in Tokyo, he was doing a great amount of dealing in terms of work, his life, taking care of his family, making good money. But it wasn't enough because he was not happy from within. And that's the most important part of your journey. Are you really happy from within? The question remains as you ask yourself. And once you're finished listening to this podcast, I want you to reflect on that. Because this is what New You Die Biz is all about. Helping discover you. Knowing your true self. Having the courage to move on. Dealing with fear. Overcoming fear. Knowing who you're supposed to be. Knowing who you deserve to be. Your purpose in life. Believing in yourself. That's what this is all about. Well, thanks for listening to this podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it and that you will tune in again. If you want to know more information about us, we are on the web at www.nuyou.biz. Again, that address is www.nuyou.biz. B-I-Z. We're also on social media. You can look us up. We're on Facebook as first word N-U, second word Y-O-U-B-I-Z. So you can friend us on Facebook and like our posts. We're also on Twitter under ad symbol N-U-Y-O-U-B-I-Z. So please follow us on Twitter. We also have a YouTube channel and a Google Plus page under N-U-Y-O-U dot B-I-Z. This podcast is also on Apple iTunes as well as Podbean under NewU.biz podcast channel. So you can subscribe to our channel on iTunes and follow us on Podbean. We also have a blog. So you can check out our blog at www.nuyoubizblogs.com. We also have a crowdfunding campaign for this podcast to help expand our efforts to reach as wide an audience as possible. And we also plan to add more interviews, multimedia, and other tools to make this podcast a memorable experience for you. So become a patron today by going to podbean.com, search for our podcast, newyou.biz podcast channel, and you will see the Become a Patron button. Click it and choose your amount to pledge to our campaign. Once you pledge, 
You are also entitled to a free membership of your choice to New Biz as either an individual member or professional member, depending on what role you want to play in our family. So join our efforts today to help individuals become who they deserve to be. Now, if you have any suggestions on topics you would like to hear from us, you can email us at info at newu.biz. That's I-N-F-O at N-U-Y-O-U dot B-I-Z. Or you can send us a message on Facebook or tweet us on Twitter. Once again, this is Donald Robinson II, co-founder of newu.biz. Thanks for listening and please stay tuned for more podcasts. You've been listening to another New You.biz podcast. For more information, join us at www.nuyou.biz. Again, that address is www.nuyou.biz. New You.biz, where change is real. And you can also get empowerment, encouragement, and positive change.